Hi, Georgie. Uh, uh, by the way, great survey. Um, so, uh, so he encouraged them to take notes. And, and so he was telling us that, that Johnny gets very upset when the preacher doesn't have a PPT. Because that makes his note-taking that much more difficult. So, Johnny, just for you, but Okay? <clears throat> I made a PPT. I was up till 12.20. So, so you, better, you better come back and tell me uh, that it was good, okay? On eldership. In fact, I was, uh, I was so sleepy that uh, I sent Abish, uh, Abhijit the wrong file at 12.22. And this morning he sent me a message saying, what is this? How am I supposed to present this? It wasn't even a PPT. So anyway, we took care of all that. But all the killing aside, and that, by the way, was a substitute for the story, the funny story that, uh, that, uh, that I didn't, didn't uh, prepare, unlike Vintan and Jobin and, and others. So I need a little bit of help today. So I'm going to ask Jobin, are you there? Yeah. Uh, can you, you've got your thing. And Bobin, he's not here. So who's, uh, who's my replacement? Do I have a replacement? Somebody who's near that, that mic, Steve. No? Just grab that mic. Keep it with you. Okay, I want you to be my readers, okay? So I'm going to be doing a lot of passages uh, back and forth. So I'll ask you to read something. Just be prepared. Uh, you know, have your uh, passages up. It'll mostly be in Acts and uh, 1 Timothy and Titus, okay? So, uh, so I'll probably just alternate within, between the two of you. So we're going to talk today about the, um, about the, um, the role of uh, elders... What happened to my... Ah, okay. So, three, uh, three main topics I want to talk about. The first is the biblical model for eldership. Uh, second is the qualifications of an elder, which is what we read uh, the, this morning. And thank you, Jehu, for, for reading that passage. Uh, and then finally, what are the duties of an elder? And uh, before I get into that, uh, I just want to talk about why I'm... I'm uh, Use, why I'm uh, speaking on the subject, it really has uh, everything to do with our uh, desire here in this church to, to really expand uh, our leadership. Uh, you know, for any church to function smoothly, we need uh, godly elders. We need uh, uh, a certain number of elders to align with the size of the congregation so that the, uh, the flock is, uh, is, is having uh, its needs met. And uh, we have been sort of on a journey and uh, uh, maybe that journey has taken a lot longer and gone a lot slower than, than we would have liked, but we wanted to sort of do this in a proper way. So, so as we continue on this journey, this is the next step, you know, that a few uh, a month or two ago we recognized some, formally recognized some deacons and the next step is for us to formally recognize some elders and we're going to talk a little bit about how we're going to go about doing that. Uh, but uh, ultimately we need to go back to scripture and it's very important for us as a church to understand this topic of uh, what is the biblical model for leadership, what is the biblical model for elders, what are the qualifications of an elder, what are the duties of an elder so that you yourself can gauge um, who might be the right people to be recognized, who might be the people ordained by the Holy Spirit to occupy that very, very important position. Uh, and of course, we can't do that, but we can't know that unless we go back to Scripture. And that's the reason why, uh, why I'm, I'm doing it uh, this morning. So, uh, as we listen to this, just uh, keep this in mind, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as, we, as we go through the, uh, 
the message here. So uh, the first point I want to talk about is that uh, is what is the biblical model for eldership, right? And and just one more reason before I, I jump there uh, is that many of us we've grown up with a certain you know rather than um, you know it's a, it's a it's a uh, reality of human nature that we tend to. Um, uh, you know, we tend to uh, absorb things or, or, or form ideas based on what we see and what we observe and the experiences that we have in our life, right? So, so many of us tend to have certain vision or certain ideas of what an elder is, perhaps based on our experience with uh, elders in a church. And very often those are not, maybe haven't been the most positive experiences. I know many of you have talked to me in, over the years and I understand these are not maybe the most positive thing. So, so I know when, when, when first uh, came here and I became an elder and everything, you know, people were very scared. Okay, and where's Sergeant? Is Sergeant here? He's here? No, he's not. Oh, too bad. But anyway, Sergeant used to scare people, telling them when they were supposed to come and see me. Uh, it was sort of a joke, but uh, some people actually took him seriously. So, uh, so when they would, we would have that, that, that one-on-one conversation, I think he came up with a name for it. He called it ERF, okay, Elder Rapid Fire. Uh, and he said, are you ready for the ERF? And, and one poor guy, I don't even remember which, who it was, but he came in there trembling, you know, uh, for the ERF. So, so it doesn't help when you have, you know, these kind of ideas that form over time that are not necessarily right. But that's really not, um, you know, we need to go away from our own experiences because our experiences may be good experiences, they may be right experiences or wrong experiences. And uh, there's, there's only one, one answer to that and that is to go back to scripture, right? So, so I'm going to uh, first talk about the, uh, the biblical model for eldership. And, uh, and you know, we, we really find this in scripture uh, and, and it's very clear, okay? There's, it's very, very clear. There's sort of... Uh, uh, a couple of points here or three points that I want to make with regard to that and first the point is that if you can read that can you all read that at the back okay uh, anyway if, if you can't there's nothing I can do about it now so uh, the thing is that the New Testament clearly teaches and models the plurality of elders okay plurality means what plural right the opposite of singular more than one right uh, it's a very simple English word uh, and we see this as we read through scripture that, that um, you know, uh, wherever the, the matter of elders is, is mentioned, uh, it is always in the, in the plural. It is always uh, talking about more than one. The implication, the direction is very, very clear. Uh, but before we go to the epistles, let's go back to the Lord Jesus. When, when the Lord Jesus established uh, the leadership of the church, uh, he did that through the apostles, right? They were the called uh, people, the called men. Uh, and there were how many of them? There were 12 of them, right? And uh, so he didn't just call one person. He didn't make one person sort of the head of the others. Of course, they all had different roles. They had different gifts. They had, uh, you know, certain were more prominent than others perhaps. But nevertheless, as we look at history, we find that they were all uh, very equal. Uh, so Jesus Christ established plurality of leadership for his churches. He never appointed one man uh, over the church. He never uh, trained one man. He trained 12 men. And he trained them together. He appointed 12 to be the first leadership body of the church. Okay, so that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we go, we find that, uh, that all references to leadership of the church in the New Testament refer to a plurality 
uh, of, uh, of, uh, of elders. So Jobin, can you please read for me Acts chapter 11 and verse 30. And Steve, you can go to Acts 15. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas yep. and Saul. To the elders. elders. Okay, Steve 15, 2. Acts 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small decision, dissension mm -hmm. and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders. And the and so the elders. elders. So they were appointed. So there was a dispute among the, the Gentile and the Jewish Christians about circumcision and various other things. Not that important in our context today. But they were appointed to go to Jerusalem. To who? To the apostles and the elders. So we have the very first church in Jerusalem uh, that is recorded in history. They had elders. Okay, verse 4, Steve. <coughs> Acts 15, 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And the elders, okay, verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together. Yep, to apostles and the elders, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. Yeah, and 23 as well. With the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders. Elders, okay. So we see it's very, very clear there. Jobin, Acts 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Yeah. Who did he send for? The elders of the church. Uh, Acts uh, 21 verse 18. And Steve, you the can go over to 1 Peter 5 while he's reading that. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Yeah, all the elders were present. Okay, uh, alright Steve, 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness hmm. of the sufferings yeah, of Christ. I exhort the elders among you, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Yeah, and uh, finally, uh, Job in uh, James chapter 5 and verse 14. Be subject to the elders. James 5 and 14. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church yeah. to pray over him. He should call the elders. Okay. So again, we see here very clearly that wherever there's a reference to elders, leaders of the church, it's not to... The senior elder, it's not to the senior pastor, it's not to anybody, but it is to the elders. It was a plurality. Uh, and uh, Jobin, if you can go back to Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. So here we see that Paul appointed elders in the churches that he established. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Yeah. And Titus 1.5, Steve. They appointed elders in every church. That So Paul was busy going around establishing churches. And we see here that in all those churches he appointed elders. Titus 1.5 This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order. And appoint elders in every town. Yeah. As I so did. Paul is writing to Titus. <coughs> and he's dealing with a problem. Which is that there are these churches established in the island of Crete. More than one. Uh, more than one church there established and there was something wrong and the problem was that they did not have uh, leadership, right? They did not have elders and he says, 
very clearly to Titus. He sends the instruction that says, I want you to go and appoint elders in every assembly in the island of Crete. Okay? So it's very clear here that the New Testament teaches and models a plurality of elders. So that's number one, right? That is the biblical, the, the cardinal principle of the biblical um, you know, definition of, uh, of eldership or the biblical model for eldership. The second thing we see uh, is that um, the New Testament teaches a model of elders as pastors, okay? Uh, now people get a little hung up with that term pastors. That doesn't mean like, uh, you know, pastor so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, but uh, thank you. It's talking about the, the word pastor simply means a shepherd, all right? So when we think about pastoral lands, that's the land that the, with the green grass that the, the sheep graze on. So it just means shepherding, right? It, it is a, a model of shepherding, uh, and we'll talk about what that means a little later. But uh, Jobin, can you read Acts 20 and verse 28? And uh, Steve, you stay in First Peter 5. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock mm. of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Yeah. Be shepherds of the church of yeah. God, which he bought with his own blood. Be shepherds of the church of God. And Steve, First Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among Okay, and then can you read verse 4 as well? And when the chief shepherds, shepherd amongst appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so who is the chief shepherd? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? So again, we see here, it's a shepherding model, right? You have the shepherds of the church, the elders of the church who are accountable to the chief shepherd. So to the extent that there is one man or one person or one leader in the church who is supreme. Uh, it is not any human leader, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. So that should be very clear. Not only does the New Testament teach and model a plurality of elders, but it also teaches a model of elders as pastors or shepherds. It speaks. It teaches a model of pastoral eldership, where you have the elders are like shepherds, the flock, the church are like the sheep, and just as a shepherd leads a sheep, takes care of the sheep, uh, provides for the sheep, so elders are to be pastoral uh, in their function, in the model that they, uh, they implement in terms of the church leadership. And finally, do we have, okay, I guess I'll take a while. So we'll, we'll, we'll move on, not wait for that. So finally, the third point in the biblical model for eldership is that the New Testament teaches a model of male eldership. Okay, so again, this is very clear. This is very uh, maybe not as accepted today as it is in that as it might have been in the past because society has sort of has its own ideas on this. But again, as I said, we got to go back to scripture, right? So uh, the New Testament teaches a model of male eldership. So when you look at who did Jesus train, you know the the apostle Paul says that the uh, the apostles are the foundation, right? They are the foundation. Of the church, and on top of that, we built. So, who did the Lord Jesus Christ appoint uh, the, as the, uh, the ones that he called the apostles? He appointed 12 men. So, we have the example of the Lord Jesus. Okay, and then when we look in the epistles, we see that while the Bible teaches very clearly male and female equality, there is no doubt about that. Male and female are equal before God. It also teaches that there is a role distinction. So, I'm not going to go there, but in First Peter 3, 
verse 5 it talks about uh, wives submitting to their husbands and, uh, and in humility uh, you know talks about the humility of the wife submitting to the leadership of the husband but then in verse 7 it talks about uh, the husband honoring the wife right as the weaker vessel remembering that you are heirs together uh, of salvation that before God before Christ you are both the same um, and uh, 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 but there is also a role distinction. So uh, I'm not going to get into the details there, but very clearly it teaches role distinction. And then, uh, Jobin, if you can go to First Timothy chapter 2, uh, just read verses uh, 8 onwards and I'll tell you when to stop. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Yeah, verse 11. Go a, ahead. a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a yeah, man. Stop there. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Now, now what Paul is talking about in this section, starting in... Uh, chapter 2 verse 8 and all the way through uh, chapter 3 and verse 13 is about the functioning of the church and he's coming towards talking about the leadership of the church so we see here he says very clearly I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man so in the church the men are to have the authority or the positions of authority now this doesn't mean that women have to be completely silent it doesn't mean that they don't have opportunities to teach uh, teach other women and so on uh, it doesn't mean that they don't have a role to play of course they have a role to play and it's a very important role and nor is it diminishing that role but in the order that God has, has said uh, here is what it says and Jobin keep reading uh, verse 12 just keep going on I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man she must be silent for Adam was formed first then Eve and Adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Yeah. So here again, I think Paul might have anticipated that people will you know, interpret some of these cultural and so he makes it a point here to go back to what? Go back to creation. Okay, to Adam and Eve and he says that you know he, he, he links it back there saying the reason for this is because when you go back to creation you have Adam being created first. Okay, Adam is the head, uh, the, the representative head of the human race. It is through the sin of Adam. Okay, even though Eve is the one who first ate the thing, God held Adam accountable. And it's through Adam as the federal head of the human race that, that sin passed down to us. And, and so he, uh, he goes back to creation and says, this is the basis for this. And then, um, uh, we look at this later, but he goes on to chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, where he talks about elders. And when you look there, you find that everything he says very clearly implies male leadership, right? So he says that, uh, that uh, a bishop or an elder overseer must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Okay, we don't see they're saying must be the husband of one wife or, uh, you know, the wife of one husband or, or you know, it it's only talks about a husband there. Uh, so it's very clear in scripture that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, that, that the scripture teaches a model of male eldership. So what is the biblical model for eldership? Number one, 
uh, it is that the New Testament teaches and models a plurality of elders, more than one. Uh, number two, the New Testament teaches a model of elders as pastors or shepherds, teaches pastoral eldership. And number three, the New Testament teaches a model of male eldership. Okay? Male eldership. So that's the first part of our talk this morning. And uh, hopefully the uh, slides will stay up. Uh, yeah. Thank you. So we're going to now talk about uh, the, uh, the qualifications of the elders. And I got a little chart here. Uh, it might be a little small for all of you to see, but just to help us get through this uh, and uh, get ready, Jobin and Steve. Uh, so uh, Jobin, you can be in First Timothy. Steve, you can go to Acts chapter 20. Okay? And then we'll, we'll flip back and forth. I'll give you a little bit of warning. Alright, so I'm going to look at the qualification of elders along six different dimensions. So they're sort of uh, primarily we get these from three passages. 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 1 Peter 5 uh, and Titus 2 and then a little bit from Acts chapter 20 as well. So uh, I've broken these down rather than go through them in the passage. I've broken them into six categories that uh, when we look at the qualification of elders, you can group them into these, these different categories. Some of them have to do with their ability. Some of them have to do with their desire. Some of them have to do with their, um, with their personal uh, testimony and their personal nature, their character, and so on and so forth. So the first one we want to look at is desire. You might have a hard time reading that. Uh, it's, it's not very sharp there. But the first one has to do with qualifications uh, associated with the desire of a person to be an elder. So, uh, uh, Steve, did you have Acts? Acts 20 verse 28. Can you read that? Pay careful attention to yourself mm-hmm. and, to, and to all the flock yeah. in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Yeah. So, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, So, they were compelled... By the Spirit's appointment and not by their own ambition. Okay? So they have to have a desire that is motivated by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, and uh, let's move on. Uh, Jobin, First uh, Timothy 3.1. And Steve, please go to First Peter 5. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Yeah. If he sets his heart on being an overseer or being an elder... Alright, so he has a godly desire to do the work, not just to gain the position. Okay, so, so it is a godly desire, it is a spirit motivated desire, a godly desire. Uh, Steve, 1 Peter 5 verse 2. Shepherd the, flock, uh, sh- shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not mm. under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, yeah. not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Yeah, so two things we see there. One is that they should serve eagerly, right? They should serve, (coughs) an elder serves as an eager, willing, volunteer, motivated by the return of Christ as the chief shepherd, which we read about earlier. And fourthly, that he should not be reluctant, okay? 1 Peter 5 says that he doesn't serve out of compulsion, not because he's being forced or he has no choice, but in willing submission to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. So four things, four qualifications we see in the area of desire. One is that he should have a spirit-motivated desire to be an elder. He should have a godly desire, right? Not just to gain the position, but to actually serve. Thirdly, he should be eager to serve. He should serve 
eager and eagerly and willingly uh, motivated by the return of Christ. And fourthly, he should serve not out of compulsion. So it should not be reluctant. So those four things... Ah, excellent. How do you do that? Okay. We have some very uh, big experts here. So that's great. Spirit-motivated, godly desire, eager to serve and not reluctant. Okay. So, uh, so that's in the area of desire. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, you might have to do something to... Let's see. I don't know what you're doing, Abhi, or Kevin, or whoever. Ah, there we go. Word-oriented, okay? So, uh, a second group of qualifications has to do with the Word of God. They have to be Word-oriented, okay? Number one, they have to be faithful to the Word. So, Jobin, you can switch over to uh, Titus chapter 1. And Steve, maybe you can switch to 1 Timothy 3. Titus 1 and verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message mm. as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine yep. and refute those who oppose it. Yeah, okay. So he must be committed to the word of God. Why? So that he can, he uh, not somebody who is blown away by, by many winds of false doctrine. Okay. So he must be faithful to the word. All right. Second thing we see, uh, Steve, if you can uh, read First Timothy three and verse two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, mm-hmm. sober-minded, sober-minded, self-controlled, yeah. respectable, hospitable, hospitable and, and able to teach. Able to teach. Okay. So he must be able to teach. He must be capable of showing the truths of the Word of God from the Word of God. That the Christian truths from the Word of God. Now. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that an elder has to be somebody who has the gift of preaching. Okay, somebody who, can, who has to be up here very frequently teaching. Although, uh, you know, it, it, it can just refer to the fact that it could be teaching that happens in, in a small group. It could be teaching that happens one-on-one. Uh, it could be teaching of, of any variety. It's, the point there is not, is that they should be able to take the word of God and apply it to your and my life, to the life of the flock. Right? Whether they are a preacher or not is not necessarily the issue here when it comes to this, uh, uh, this uh, set of criteria or set of qualifications of being word-oriented. Okay, Titus 1.9, uh, Jobin, can you just go back to that again? He must hold firmly to the trustworthy hold message. firmly, yeah. To the trustworthy message as it has been taught mm-hmm. so that he can encourage others. Yeah, so that he can encourage others, okay, or he can exhort Others, alright, that's what my translation here says, both to exhort, alright, you can exhort others and then keep reading Jobin. By sound doctrine and refute those who Ah. oppose it. Refute, he should be able to refute error or convict those who contradict. Now, one of the dangers in the church, and this has been the case throughout, even in the epistles we read about it, throughout history we see that there is always, uh, you know, an effort by Satan to bring false doctrine into the church. Right? And it's very important that the, the man who is an elder needs to know the word of God. He needs to be word oriented so that he can exhort. Okay, Exhort means to encourage the believers with the word of God. Show them how they can apply the word of God to their situation. But also so that he can refute error. So that he is able to recognize error when it enters the church and be able to refute it, to fight it back uh, and to put it, put it out of the church. So, so this is, these are the four things, 
four qualifications that we can group under an elder needing to be word oriented. He should be faithful to the word. He should be able to teach. He should be able to exhort doctrine. And he should be able to refute error. Okay. So can you guys change this so that... Uh, yeah. The next category is comes to integrity. Okay. And I hope we all understand what integrity means. Um, so Jobin, we can go back to Titus 1 uh, and verse 8. Can you read that again? We'll rather, be repeating these verses, unfortunately. But rather, he must be hospitable, mm. one who loves what yeah. is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and holy. disciplined. Okay, holy. Uh, he should be devout, right? So, he should be a devout person. What does that mean? It means that, that, that we should evidence holiness in the life of that person. When we look at the way he lives his life, the way he speaks, the way he goes about things, not that he is perfect, but there is an element of holiness uh, and devoutness towards God uh, in his life as a leader of the church. Okay, First uh, Timothy 3, 2. Uh, Steve, again. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach, just stop there. Okay, or another word that's used for that is blameless. Alright, he must be above reproach. Now, what does that mean? Um, this shows the character and quality of his life. And many of these are, are very intertwined. Now, to be blameless or above reproach doesn't mean that he's perfect. Okay, it doesn't mean that he's perfect. It's something different than perfection. What it means is that when you look at the life of that person or the, the, the way that person uh, you know, shows himself or is known uh, you know, in, uh, among people in general, you should not be able to cast a stone at him. He should be blameless. His life should be, uh, again, not perfect, but we should not be able to find something in him that's blaming. For example, I'll just use an example. Let's say somebody who, um, <coughs> you know, we've had cases of elders who have had... Uh, um, uh, go fallen into deep sin, okay, sins of adultery, all right, that person can never be blameless uh, after that, right, because people will say, oh no, but he had this particular thing happen, it is a public, publicly known thing, now that doesn't mean that, you know, for I may, uh, you know, I can be blameless at the same time, I can be a sinner, right, I have all kinds of maybe thoughts going in my mind that, that you don't, um, you don't get to see, but I know what it is and I go confess them to the Lord. That's between me and the Lord. But in my outward, so the word blameless here is, reflect, is, is really speaking about your outward, the way that you are known, the way that people see you on the outside, the, the things that you have done in your life, that they cannot point to you and say, oh, but you know, he did this so many years ago or he did that or he was caught in a lawsuit or he was uh, you know, caught for uh, you know, evading some government law or something like that, right? It should be a blameless person. Okay, I hope that's clear. Uh, let's go on to the next one which is that he should have a good reputation. So Steve, uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought yeah. of by outsiders. He must have a good testimony. Alright, so this is related to that blameless thing. He has a good reputation, shouldn't bring shame on himself and on the church. And we'll move on. Uh, Jobin, can you read uh, Titus 1.8 again? Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, yep. who is self-controlled, upright, holy. Yeah, upright, just stop there. Okay, he should be upright. He should be just. He manif manifests the fruits of justification in his life. Uh, and sanctification in his manner of life. So he is somebody who is upright, right? Upstanding. And then finally, um, 
Jobin, maybe you can go to First Peter five. First Peter five and verse three. Not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to yeah. the flock. Not loading it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. Okay, in the area of integrity, he should be an example to those. So he should live his life consciously as an example to the people under his care. He must realize that his life is and is to be an example. So he lives his life in a way. Okay, whether it's the way he spends his time, whether it's the way he interacts with people, whether it's how he studies the word of God, whether it's how he conducts himself in the church, with people in the church, he must have that sense that he is an example and therefore he needs to live his life differently than the average person. Okay, so uh, in the area of integrity, we have six uh, qualifications. He must be devout. He must be above reproach or blameless. He must have a good reputation or a good testimony. He must be respectable, uh, must be upright and just and must be an example. Alright, okay. Let's move on. Uh, Can we go to the next one? So these are the relational qualifications. So it's not, so if you look at the first three, you know, it said you've got to have a desire. uh, You've got to know the word. uh, You've got to have a good testimony. But that's not enough. Alright, because the job of an elder is to be a pastor or a pastoral leader in the church, leading the flock, he needs to have certain relational qualifications. Okay, number one, uh, who's got First Timothy? Jobin, First Timothy 3.2. Now the overseer must be above reproach, yep. the husband of but one wife, yep. temperate, self-controlled, mm. respectable, hospitable. And hospitable, yeah, stop there. Okay, he must be hospitable. So he includes other people in his life. He's not somebody who, who just shuts up and doesn't want to talk to other people. Okay, he's someone who shows hospitality. We all understand that. Uh, again, verse 3, Jobin. Not given to drunkenness, not violent. Yeah, not violent. Stop there. So he's not somebody who's violent. He's a gentle person. He, even though he might have authority, even though he might have, uh, you know, uh, authority, he exercises it with gentleness in the way he deals with people who might be going wrong in the church. He's, he's got to be gentle. All right, uh, Steve, can you go to First Peter 5? And while you're going there, Jobin, just continue to read verse 3 again. Keep going where you were. Not given to uh, drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, Mm -hmm. not quarrelsome. Quarrelsome, yeah, stop there. Not quarrelsome. So he's not somebody who is always disagreeing with people in an argumentative manner, okay? Not somebody, you know, we we all know these uncles who are known as the, you know, the guys who make the quarrels in the church, right? Churches that we all came from in the Gulf or wherever you grew up, okay? There there are certain people who are known as, oh, he's the guy, he's the fighter in the church, Right? That's not that. That's like a disqualification to be an elder. He's not somebody who's always picking a fight. You know, just picking on every single thing to make a fight. Uh, and Steve, if you can uh, go back to First uh, Peter five three. We read this already, but let's go back there. Not domineering. No, over. Not domineering or not loading it over. Does not dominate like a master with ultimate power. He's not a power hungry person who's trying to be loaded over uh, the people. But he influences them as a servant leader, right? Just as the Lord was a servant, as an example. Okay, we talked about not quarrelsome, uh, not quick-tempered. So we, we read that, Jobin read that they're not violent, you know, not given to, to anger. Uh, that's there in Titus 1.7 as well. 
uh, and also it says he shouldn't be self-willed. I'm just going to run through these as time is running short and not violent. So we talked about this. So it's not enough that he knows the word. It's not enough that he has a good testimony, but he must have some of these relational quali- qualifications. Hospitable, gentle and not violent, not lording, not quarrelsome, not quick-tempered, not self-willed and not violent. Okay, then there are a set of qualifications having to do with the family uh, of, the, of the elder. Can we go to the next one? The family. So the first one is, uh, we read this, I'm not going to go back to, to that again, uh, but it said he should be a one-woman man. Okay, or another translation says, the husband of one wife. And this doesn't just mean that he should only be married to one wife. It means that he should also be faithful to her, right? Not a flirtatious person. He should be blameless, have a blameless reputation in his sexual and his marital life. Okay, so he is, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's also that he can never remarry if his wife passes away, any of those kind of things. It just means that, that he, he is the husband of one wife at a time, right? Uh, so that's very important. And then as we uh, move on, we find First uh, Timothy 3, 4 and 5. Jobin, can you read that? Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Mm. He must manage his own yeah. family manage well. Manage his own family or his own household well. Yeah, keep reading. And see that his children obey him with proper respect. Yeah. See that his children and keep going. Verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? church? God. So he gives a reason for that as well, right? He must be someone who manages his own household well. He shepherds his family well. Uh, he proves his ability to manage the family of God by managing his family well. Okay, his his children are uh, respect him and honor his, their parents. Uh, his wife uh, honors him and submits to him, uh, and he has this exemplary sort of family life that people in the church can look up to. And the reason for that is that if he can't do that, if he can't manage things at home, then how do you expect him to? Manage the church of God. And then the third one was, we just talked about it, the children. Right? So he guides his children into obedience and respect of his leadership at home. So that is to be the training ground for the elder. You know, an elder who manages his family well is someone who, uh, who has the, 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 the background to be able to manage the church of God. Okay, the last set of characteristics, let's move to that, is the personal qualifications okay uh, last set of qualifications so very quickly i'm going to go through these we already read all of these so i'm not going to read them again okay you should be a lover of good titus 1 8 loves what is good which dominates his thoughts establishes his priorities and motivates his actions okay you should be someone who loves good things just like it says in philippians 4 whatsoever things are good noble uh, of good repute you know you you dwell on these things number two he should be sober or prudent and Sensible. We see that in First Timothy three, verse two, and Titus one eight. He controls his thought life. He's not just someone who flies off the handle, right? He's a very prudent and sensible person. In in his posture toward himself and towards others. Third, he's self-control. He controls his behavior. He's not someone who who just gets angry all the time. Uh, especially as an example, he's temperate, so he's not given to extreme. So he's not someone who's totally extreme in one direction. He has a, a sense of balance in his life because as you deal with a flock, you need all of these characteristics, these qualifications. First Timothy three six also says, Jobin, can you read that? He must not be a recent convert, yeah. or Thank he may you. be. That's good. He must not be a recent convert, lest he is 
becomes puffed up. So here he says that he shouldn't be a new believer, should be somebody who's a little more seasoned, who's who who's established his testimony of uh, testimony of stability uh, in his life, somebody who knows the word, right? And then uh, again, then it goes on to say he shouldn't be a drunkard and he shouldn't be greedy. He shouldn't be somebody who loves money. He should be somebody who handles his money well. Somebody who has a reputation or has a practice of of giving to the needs of the Lord, right? Not somebody who is amassing. So if you are, if you are, if he's a guy, I don't want to use examples because people pick that up the wrong way. But you look at how he, how he uses money. What is the lifestyle that he tries to live, right? Is he somebody who is constantly uh, greedy for money? Uh, how does he handle himself professionally in his uh, in his professional life? You know, is he constantly looking for the next opportunity where he can he can amass more wealth? Okay, those are things that we should be careful about in evaluating an elder. So we see here, yeah, you can go back and put the whole thing up, uh, um, guys. So you can see he should have a desire, godly, spirit-filled desire. He should be word-oriented. He should have integrity. He should be relational. He should have a, a certain example in his family and then these personal characteristics. So the purpose of doing all this is to give you a sense of what are the qualifications we are looking for in an elder. Now, of course, sometimes you have, you have a tendency to look at these things and say, you know what, that seems like an impossible thing to meet, right? We will, how can we ever find somebody who is going to meet all of these? And that's, there's some truth to that. Uh, but when we look at these, we've got to look at them in balance, right? We've got to look at where people are and do we, uh, you know, uh, while there might be nobody who fulfills all of these, we've got to look at the predominance of their character, of their nature, of their life, of their interactions uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, these are, by the way, criteria not just for elders, but these are criteria that all of us should strive for. These are the, uh, the, 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 the characteristics of a mature Christian, right? So this is not, even though we're talking about it in the context of elders here, this is not something just for elders. So keep that in mind, right? But the way I would say we look at it is we look at the qualifications as a whole. You look at all of these things and say, you know what, in terms of his knowledge of the word, in terms of his integrity, in terms of the testimony, in terms of how he relates to me and other people, in terms of his family life, in terms of his personal characteristics, when I put it all together, does this person stand head and shoulders above uh, the rest of the, uh, of the church? And if that's the case, that's somebody that we want to pray for and we want to consider as an elder. And elders should strive for these standards. Once you become an elder, you recognize an elder, these are, this is sort of your guidebook to keep yourself true and to, to ensure that you, um, you, know, that you continue to uh, have these standards for yourself for the rest of your life. So then, just to close out, I want to talk about the duties of an elder very quickly. Uh, so three things here, right? Remember, all of these are tied to uh, the pastoral eldership, right? So you think about the flock, all right? The first one is that uh, the elder is to protect the flock. Uh, uh, Jobin, can you go to Acts 20, please? Acts 20, verse uh, 28 to 31. Keep watch over yourselves yeah. and all the flock of yeah. which... Keep watch over all the flock. Yeah, keep going. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Yep. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number... Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Yep. Remember that for three years, I never stopped yep. warning each of That's you good. night and day. So he's saying, he's warning the Ephesians, he's speaking there to the Ephesian elders, and he's telling them, watch the flock, 
okay, protect the flock. After I leave, I know there's going to be, these, he calls them wolves. These are false teachers, purveyors of false doctrines. They're going to come in and they're going to try to steal the sheep. They're going to try to make them go astray into wrong doctrines. I want you to guard yourself and guard them. So the, the number one job of an elder is to uh, protect the flock. The second one is to feed the flock. So we read this in 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9 that they are to, elders are to be able to teach, they are to exhort in sound doctrine. Right. So the feeding of the flock needs to come from the elders. Of course there are others who would feed as well. But the elders have to ensure that either, either both that they are feeding the flock from scriptures as well as the flock are being fed by other gifted men and women. Uh, in the church. So if you have to feed the flock as an elder. The third one is leading the flock. So First uh, Timothy 5.17 uh, Jobin, I think you're in First Timothy already. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well mm. are worthy of double honor, especially yeah. those whose work is preaching and teaching. Yeah, whose work is preaching and teaching. So they are to, the elders who, what does it say, the first part? Elders who? Direct the affairs. Direct, yeah. Direct the affairs of the church or rule well, as some translations say, an elder who rules. Okay, and uh, uh, in Titus 1.7, I won't go there, it says, it calls them a steward of God. So what is a steward? A steward is a household manager, right? So they have this, this, <clears throat> this job of leading the flock, of managing the affairs of the church. Uh, and then also as a leader, they are to be a servant leader. First Peter 5.3, we read this a couple of times, they are not to... Uh, be uh, not to be a lord over them. They're not as lord over them, but lead by example. Okay, so they are to protect the flock, feed the flock, lead the flock. Finally, they are to meet the flock's many practical needs. Uh, we read earlier James five fourteen that if you are sick, if anyone of among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church and um, uh, and have him anoint him with oil and pray. Right, uh, Jobin, can you read uh, Acts twenty thirty five? In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to yeah. give than to receive. We must help the weak. So the elders have a, have a duty to pray for the sick, to help those who are weak, to meet the many practical needs. And those might be practical needs about somebody who needs a job, somebody who has a health problem, somebody who, who doesn't have enough money to, uh, to meet their basic needs. Uh, whatever might be that somebody who's going through uh, depression or somebody who's facing certain temptations and issues in their life. So we have to meet the needs or the practical needs of the flock. Protect the flock, feed the flock, lead the flock and meet the flock's needs. So these are the, the duties of an elder. Okay, so we have talked about the, uh, the biblical model. We've talked about the qualifications very, very rapidly. And then we've talked about the duties of an elder. So how should the elders be chosen? I don't have time to go to all the scriptures. But uh, first of all, elders are called by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the church has to recognize and acknowledge this call. Elders are chosen by the Holy Spirit. And then how did the church in the early church go about recognizing these people? Very clearly it says in Acts 14.23 that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. So it's the existing leaders, the church planters, the people who planned this church, churches, you know, Titus was instructed to go to Crete and, and appoint elders there, the, the mature leadership who appointed them. So we see that practice, we see that precedence over there. So the church has to recognize the call of a specific person. We must test their desire, check their call, check their qualifications, and then uh, 
thirdly we must uh, apply the test like are they able to hold fast the faithful word right do they understand doctrine are they able to deal with people do they meet all of these qualifications then finally we set them aside we lay hands on them and we pray and we recognize them for the church so so with that i just want to close um by by letting all of you know that uh, you know as i said we started this journey uh, you know some time ago and it's not that we've not done anything in all these years we have been trying both uh, brother rebi and myself to build up a group of men who can be the long term leadership of this church uh, and we have been doing that in various different ways uh, both formally and and informally by getting them more involved in things and we need to move that that forward and that's what that's what we want to do so one of the things that we have we have done is through looking at all the men we have identified uh, a group of men from whom we believe the future elders of the church may come now we have our own assessment of all of these men uh, there's about 10 of them uh, we have our own assessment of all of them uh, but we also want to get some inputs from the church so just like we did with the deacons but now from the perspective of elders and that's why i went through all this today so that as you give your feedback as you give us your evaluation uh, you are keeping in mind the scriptural basis for what an elder is right so it's not about my own personal like whether i like that person or don't like that person but it's it's how do they measure up how do they stack up against scripture and, and again um, i think we should be very clear <coughs> that as we see the example in scripture it will be the other elders who will make that decision but but we like to get that input we like to take that as just one uh, one uh, item of input from uh, all of you so we will be, uh, i will be sending out a, a, a link to a anonymous survey later this afternoon uh, so that all of you can can go in there and you can evaluate it will be a very simple one just like we did with deacons uh, more than a year ago uh, and we would like you to give feedback there's free form way in which you can give feedback and this can also serve as a um, you know as a way to provide feedback to some of these men so that they can you know understand what how the church perceives them right and what are the areas that they need to mature uh, and work on so please do take a few minutes uh, it's not very extensive uh, but give it some thought right we want you to give it thought we want you to apply these criteria and we want you to uh, give us your very candid feedback as i said it's going to be anonymous and we will take that in and we will um, uh, you know we will put that alongside our own assessment uh, by you know of of these men and then uh, you know over the next few months we will uh, you know prayerfully reach some decisions on on who should be the uh, the new elders uh, in the church so uh, you know that will uh, that will be sent out later today so let me just conclude this by reading a, a quote from uh, uh, alexander strock Uh, and by the way uh, now that i mentioned alexander strock i should mention that one of the things we are doing is that uh, all of these men uh, so you will see their names they'll show up on the survey uh, all of them are going through a formal course that that both rebi and i are participating with them called the school of the shepherds which is an online course that we are taking to go through all the elements of eldership the role of the elder the qualification of the elder the duties of an elder uh, so that they can sort of get that spiritual grounding in the role doesn't mean that all of them will become elders but uh, nevertheless these are the ones that we have discerned uh, are the ones who should go through that so um, one of the teachers there is alexander strock he's written uh, a wonderful book on biblical eldership probably the 
number one work uh, in this, um, uh, in, on this subject uh, anywhere in the world. And I just want to close with this quote from, uh, from Alex Strock. So here's what he says. Uh, and I think this is, uh, this is very, very important. And it's, uh, you know, we can talk about qualifications. We can talk about uh, all of these kind of things. But this is really the crux of it. Okay? And he says, Biblical eldership can, cannot exist in an atmosphere of nominal Christianity. There can be no biblical eldership in a church where there is no biblical Christianity. If a biblical eldership is function effectively, it requires, and listen to this, it requires men who are firmly committed to living out our Lord's principles of discipleship. Biblical eldership is dependent on men who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33 Men who have presented themselves as living and holy sacrifices to God and view themselves as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Men who love Jesus Christ. Men who love Jesus Christ above all else. Men who willingly sacrifice self for the sake of others. Men who seek to love as Christ loved. Men who are self-disciplined and self-sacrificing. And men who have taken up the cross and are willing to suffer for Christ. Let me just read those off again. Men who have presented themselves, sorry, men who uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Men who have presented themselves as living and holy sacrifices to God and view themselves as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Men who love Jesus Christ above all else. Men who willingly sacrifice self for the sake of others. Men who seek to love as Christ loved Men who are self-disciplined and self-sacrificing and men who have taken up the cross and are willing to suffer for Christ. So as you go through that and as you give us your feedback, please do keep that in mind. Uh, And uh, may God enable us to really identify those men that the Spirit has ordained, the Spirit has set apart so that we may uh, only recognize what is truly the leading of God through his Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Father, for the richness of your word and for how you give us instruction, not just on our lives, but also about your body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church, and how it should be administered, how it should be led, how it should be run, the qualifications, the men, their duties, uh, the moral, everything, Lord. And we thank you we could look at this today. And as, Lord, we here in CBF have been praying about this for many, many months, many years, Lord. Uh, we just want to pray, Lord, that, uh, that, that I just want to thank you, Father, first of all, for the way in which you've been working in the hearts of many of these men, Lord, many who at one time were very reluctant, Lord, let, yet, Lord, you have matured them, you have grown them, you have given them a love for your church, Father. And as we continue down this journey, Lord, we just want to ask for the leading of your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, to make wise decisions. We want to ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit to each of the each member of the church, Father, that that uh, uh, is here, Lord, as they prayerfully provide their feedback, that they would do it constructively, that they would do it led by the Holy Spirit, they would do it prayerfully, Father. We want to give you all the glory. We want to commit this church into your hands. We give you all praise and adoration in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray.